Hi there, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. If you're buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then we've got something that's going to float your boat and light that candle. Listen, I've been absolutely rammed in the last month and that's pretty much the reason why we've not had a podcast, but I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. Let me tell you what I've been up to. We've got the year end coming up at the end of June and so therefore we're really pressing the pedal to the metal as far as the work is concerned. Really, really busy and doing some great stuff as far as the mortgages and the legals are concerned. We've kicked off the cricket season. For those of you who know me, you know obviously I'm a big fan on the cricket side of things. coaching two teams, a school team and uh, a team of under 15s. Um, we've probably had about five or six games and we've not won a game yet. So it's it's been a bit of a rough start, but ever hopeful that this weekend we've got a couple of games and uh, cross our fingers that we might uh, notch that first win in the, the win column. Number two, she's doing our athletics at the moment. She's 100 metres and high jump. We've been here, there and everywhere. I've morphed into athletics dad, which really means that I'm travelling to places like Kilmarnock, Ayr, Livingston, Grangemouth for 14 seconds. That's how long it takes her to run 100 metres and that's how long I have to stay there. Or if it was only as easy as that, that 14 seconds takes three hours at the front end and another hour to get home. So the whole day is lost for watching 14 seconds. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Number one's in the middle of exams. So she's got her nap fives. I think at the time of dictating this, we have got, I think, five that she's done. Um, She's got to hit physics tomorrow. And then we're into the home stretch with another two to go. So she's working incredibly hard. And then finally, I've got my race. I'm doing four half Ironman. One of the reasons I haven't been able to be doing the podcast is that I've been training pretty hard. So the half Ironman, you've got a swim, a bike and a run. Went out on Sunday for a bike and a run. And I've done something with my, my, uh, my calf. I cannot believe it. I've been training for about 15 weeks, pretty much injury free. And what happens? I go bloody tweak my calf. So I don't know whether or not I'm going to be able to uh, to have a go at it. We'll give, we'll give it a crack and we'll see if the if the calf holds up. I was down at the Western Bass doing my swimming and dictating this, uh, recording this rather on Tuesday and I'm just back from the baths They've done a temperature check at Loch Lomond, that's where we were swimming, and the temperature check last week was nine degrees. So if you can imagine going to your local baths, that's probably about 16 degrees. So I asked the guys at the baths, I said, see that plunge pool, the cold plunge pool? What's that? He said 12. 12 degrees. And that is absolutely Baltic. So goodness knows what's going to happen on Sunday when we've got the race. 
But listen, you're not here to listen to me talking about this, that, and the next thing. You're here wanting to get some insights into buying, selling, renting, and investing in property. And this week, what we're going to talk about is closing dates. We're right smack bang in the middle of the buying and selling season. And certainly where I work in, which is Glasgow, the West End is really fizzing and bubbling away. Lots of closing dates. And I know there's a lot of pain from a lot of purchasers trying to get that offer accepted. So I'm just going to give you some insights, some hints and tips as far as what you should be thinking about when you are going to be forced in to that closing date. Because you know what? Nobody likes a closing date. As a purchaser, you always want to be trying to get into buying on a one-to-one basis and trying to avoid as best as you can that closing date scenario. So I'll tell you some tips when you're forced to do that. And then at the back end of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about networking in the wrap-up. But listen, let's kick it off now and let's talk that closing date. So let's talk about closing dates, shall we? I've been doing this gig for about 25 years or so, and I've yet to meet a buyer who's happy in being forced into a closing date. A closing date for a buyer is not what we as buyers want to be aspiring to. What we want to be aspiring to is that one-to-one negotiation where we can get under the bonnet, strike up a relationship with the seller, and see if we can't get a good deal as far as the purchase is concerned. But when that other buyer comes along and notes an interest in the property, the gloves are off. Because that's what the seller is wanting. The seller and the estate agents are wanting to try and get into that blind bidding situation, which is the closing date. So those of you that are new to the game of buying and selling of property, the closing date is where you as an individual through your solicitor have noted an interest in the property with the estate agent. And you phone up and you say, can we note an interest for Mr. Smith? And you hope, you cross your fingers and you hope that the estate agent say, thanks very much, Mr. Williams. Delighted to be speaking to you. You've got a free run at this. That's what you want to hear. But certainly in Glasgow, and especially in the West End of Glasgow, generally what's happening for a property that's in a prime location, you make that call and they say, that's great. The estate agency, that's super, thanks very much. You're the fourth note of interest. You're the third note of interest. You're the fifth note of interest. And my heart just sinks because I know we're going to be struggling to get the property at the best possible price. Because closing dates are all about bid, bidding blind. You do not know what the other party is going to be offering. And that is the big, big issue. The only marker in the sand that you've got is your home report. Your home report gives you a bricks and mortar valuation by the surveyor, instructed by the seller as to what they think the valuation is. And what tends to happen is that the home report value is a not an overestimation of the valuation, but certainly 
it's a an upper estimation as far as valuation is concerned. As I like to term it, it's sometimes the surveyors are standing on their tiptoes. So you need to be fully aware when you're negotiating that the home report value potentially could be on the high end of what a surveyor could value a property at. But that's your marker in the sand. That is where everybody who's going to go for that closing date and put an offer in, that's where they're going to start from. And the reason why closing dates are so successful for a seller is because if everybody works from that marker and you know that there's a competition and you're keen on buying that property, you're going to end up bidding in excess of the home report value. And that can be 5%, it can be 10%, it can be 20%. Acting for a client last week, valuation was in at 320. Client had a bit of money to spare. We threw £16,000 over the home report value. 5% over the home report value. And I'm thinking, that's a strong, strong offer. We lost out by £34,000. The property went for £350,000. £30,000 over the home report value. What a result for the seller. And what a kicking for my client. Because when you are unsuccessful in buying a property at closing date, it leaves you with one thing. And that one thing is, if I want to buy a property in the location that I want to, am I going to have to pay 10%, 15%, 20% over the home report value? Not the offers over, the home report value. So do you have to get forced into a closing date? That's the first thing I want to talk about. You have to be forced into a closing date where there is a note of interest. And the answer is no. The situation is this, that if you see that somebody has put a note of interest in a property, the chances are it will go to a closing date because the estate agent knows that they're likely to get more from a buyer if they set a closing date. But you can be quite bullish in your tactics. And even if you see that there is a home, a, a, a note of interest there, it doesn't stop you putting an offer in. In these days, what you need to understand is that whilst you're as paranoid as, uh, if you are paranoid as a purchaser because you think that another buyer is going to come in and note another interest, you want to understand that the seller is as paranoid as you. Because the seller is not thinking about selling their property necessarily. They've already got their eyes on the prize. That's to say their next purchase. And they see that that purchase is being prejudiced because A, they maybe don't have a mortgage, but more importantly, they haven't sold their own property. So if you can offer them certainty, then they may decide, you know what? I'm not going to worry about a closing date. I'll just take your offer. So I'll give you a scenario here. Acting for a client a fortnight ago, we put a note of interest in. We don't hear anything from the estate agents. There's two other notes of interest. I say to the client, listen, just keep your powder dry. Don't put an offer in. And so a week later, I then phone up the estate agents and give them the address. And I say to them, listen, what's happening with that closing date? 
and they say, oh, the property's been sold. Somebody had come in and put an offer that the seller couldn't refuse. And so although there had been two, three other notes of interest, it didn't go to a closing date. Now, the difficulty with doing that clearly is that if you show your hand, then potentially that offer can be leaked to the market. And that's not because the estate agent tells everybody. The scenario is this, that if you go to the property and you ask the seller, how's marketing going? And the seller's already had that offer. And say it's offers over 145 with a home report at 150. They say, marketing's going great. It's been on the market for a week and I've already had two notes of interest. And somebody else has put an offer in at £160,000. So it then becomes offers over, not 145, not 150, but offers over 160. So you play a dangerous game in showing your hand. But sometimes it's the best course of action. Sometimes it's the best course of action. But what I would caution you, and I caution all of my clients, I say to them, listen, keep some of your powder dry. Leave some petrol in the tank. Make sure that if we're going to have a negotiation, that we don't show our full hand. We don't show the full house. We leave some petrol in the tank so that if we don't get a successful one-to-one -one negotiation, then we've got somewhere to go as far as the closing date is concerned. So how should you play a closing date? What to offer? Well, as I said to you, that we're pitching offers generally based around the home report value because that's the only piece of information that we have. So there are three things that I seek when I'm advising clients on what to offer at a closing date. The first is how many notes of interest are there? The second is the client circumstances and the third is location. So let's touch on all three of those. First of all, how many notes of interest? So the way that I look at notes of interest is this, that if there are more than five or six notes of interest, then in all likelihood you're going to get somebody within that five or six notes of interest who are fed up with the system. They've lost out three or four times. They can't be bothered anymore. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna put some nutter offer, some crazy offer, they're going to put the kitchen sink in there. And if you're somebody who's just starting the game and trying to buy something, the chances of you being successful is unlikely. Because you'll be cautious. It's just human nature, isn't it? You get your first property, your first closing date, and you just want to just rein it in. You don't want to go kitchen sink. But if you're bidding against the kitchen sink, you're struggling. So that's notes of interest. I think it's there are fewer notes of interest, they're less likely to get the kitchen sinker. Let's talk client circumstances. This is probably the most important part 
Every single transaction that I deal with for a client is bespoke. It has its own set of circumstances. We need to look under the bonnet of the client's circumstances. What I say to clients as far as how much they should bid over if they want to, the home report value, is that in essence all they're doing is they're taking the money from the bank and they're putting into the bricks and mortar. They're not crystallising any loss until they sell the property. And the hope is that by the time they sell the property and they've kitchen sink the offer, that the market will have caught up and that they're now showing a profit. We all talk about negative equity. But negative equity is only a phenomenon that crystallises once you sell. And ultimately, if you buy a property and this is your forever property, then go kitchen sink. Throw everything at it. Because ultimately, if you're not going to be selling this property for the next 10, 15, 20 years, the way the market has gone and the way no doubt the market will continue to go is that in 10, 15, 20 years, you will have forgotten that you've paid 10, 15, 20 grand over the home report value because you'll be sitting on an enormous pile of cash because A, you will have paid off some or all of your mortgage and B, the market will have marched forward significantly. So if the client's circumstances are such that they're going to be living this property for a long period of time, then you're more likely to want to kitchen sink it. Where people have come a cropper is that back in 2004, 2005, when the market was just going ahead, great guns, nobody thought ever that anything was going to go wrong. And what kids coming out of university, kids wanting to buy their first property, a one-bedder, a two-bedder, they kitchen sinked it because that's what you had to do to get a property. The problem was that when the crash hit in 2007, 2008, the amount of money that they paid for the property, the whole market receded and so they were ended up in a situation where they couldn't sell their property because they would be in negative equity. So this goes back to circumstances for clients. I say to clients that if you are a first time or a second time buyer and the, the time that you're going to be staying in this property that you're going to be buying is only going to be a couple of years, you need to cock any. You need to be cautious because you're playing with your deposit to be able to allow you to move up the market ladder. And the problem is that that flies in the face of where the market is going and it's a conundrum that buyers always face. I want to be cautious, I don't want to be paying too much for the property but I see the market is moving forward 100 miles an hour. How the hell am I going to be able to buy a property? And sometimes it's difficult. But you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to get out there and you've got to keep looking at properties. Because ultimately there will be a property out there with your name on it. And let's hope you don't have to pay too much for the property. But as I say, you only crystallise that loss 
in a negative equity situation when you sell the property. My old man used to say to me, he said, the property is only worth what the second person was going to buy it for. So that means that if you're buying at a closing date and there's three or four people interested in the property, if you had to sell it that next day, in all likelihood, it's only going to be worth what the second person was prepared to pay for it. So when you buy that property, you've got to hope to goodness that the person that you're competing against was only a couple of grand away from your offer. The nightmare scenario is when you get your offer accepted, you phone up the estate agent, and I ask the $64,000 question, how many offers did you get? Well, you got three offers. Oh, good, good. And was it close? And then there's silence. And they come back. It was very close. Only a couple of hundred pounds. And you think, fantastic. What you don't want to be hearing is that yeah, you want it by about 10, 15 grand. That's not what you want to hear. And whilst you can pop the champagne corks and say, fantastic, I've got the property, there's that nagging doubt in the back of your mind that you've over-egged it. You didn't need to put the kitchen sink, the washing machine, the dishwasher into the purchase price. But that's closing dates for you. So listen, we've talked about notes of interest, we've talked about client circumstances, location is the next one. Location, location, location. It's important. That's why they made a flipping show out of it. It is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, as far as buying property is concerned. And if you buy a property in a prime location and you're lucky enough to be able to buy a property in a prime location, then the chances are, in the good times, it's going to fire ahead and you're going to be making a bit of money as the market moves forward. But then if the market contracts, the better areas lose money less of. So the, 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 when a market moves forward, what you'll tend to find is that in the best areas, the properties go up by a higher percentage but they also come down by a lesser percentage because it's, there's a perception that in a good location, everybody wants to live at that location. So location, location, location. If you are going to be buying a property in a prime location where properties are sought after, then yes, you're going to have to pay a premium, but there's going to be more of an upside than a downside. Whereas if you're just buying a bog standard one or two better in a, in a, a street that is these kinds of properties are to a penny and yes it might have fancy wallpaper it might have a nef oven and, and a bosch this and a, and, a, and a aga that the bottom line is that you don't want to be paying too much for something that is not absolutely sparkling in not a great location because you'll struggle to get your money back so great location go for a location and if it's a bespoke property that doesn't come on very often, 
then fill your boots. But if it's two a penny and you can go and buy your Bosch, your Aga and your Neff, then you're probably better buying something that's a little bit tired and you can put your stamp of approval on it. So that's it. Notes of interest, client circumstances and location. When am I going to hear? When am I going to get confirmation? Will it be today? Tell me, when am I going to get the offer accepted? That is a question that we always get asked. And really, the answer to that is, I don't know. Now, you would have thought, wouldn't you, if you're selling a property, you'd be on the phone to the estate agent as their seller at one o'clock, having had a closing date at 12, saying, tell me the offers, how many offers do we get? Do we go over home report value? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. But the amount of times that I've had to phone up the estate agent at three, four o'clock for the estate agents to say, my client hasn't come back to me yet. I don't know. So don't be champing too much of the bit. I appreciate that you've made the offer and the last, you want, the last thing you want to do is not to hear anything before Monday. But sometimes that happens. Sometimes if you're buying it from an executory, somebody who's died or a repossession, the wheels of industry, the wheels of conveyancing sometimes don't move as quickly as you would want them to. And sometimes you'll have to wait a couple of days. The bottom line is you'll hear, you should hear that day. I mean, it is quite rare for you not to hear that day. Um, but as I say, if you're buying a repossession or you're buying from an executory or from some third party who they have to take a decision at a board or what have you, then you're probably looking at 24 hours. So hopefully that's been of use to you. Closing dates is something as buyers that we never like getting into. And I would always say to you that if you're buying a property, Try and get that one-to-one -one relationship. Build that relationship uh, with the seller. Try and get as much information as possible and try and pull them onto a one-to-one -one negotiation. Because a one-to-one -one negotiation, you're going to get a keener price. you got some a bit of an insight there as to uh, what happens as far as a closing date is concerned. I'm going to kick off and uh, I shoot off and, and start work actually because it's now Tuesday. It's probably sort of seven o'clock. I've been in here prattling on for about half an hour or so. So I better go and actually do some work. Before I go, let me tell you where I'm at with my educational slot on the BNI. For those of you who have been listening, you'll know that I'm the education coordinator, that grand title for the BNI, which is my networking breakfast club thingy that I do on a Friday morning out in Motherwell at the, the grandly titled Sunrise Chapter. Um, quite why it's called Sunrise, I'm not entirely sure because I tell you what, there's not much sunrise happening in the middle of a December morning at half past six, traipsing down the M20, M74. But hey ho, education coordinator, I've been doing it for about a year, and what I have to do is I have to give a talk to the assembled masses for 
four or five minutes about something educational, something relating to business. And what I've been doing in the last seven weeks was uh, using a book that I had been reading about networking and trying to improve the networking capabilities of everybody within the room. And there were sort of seven gems that we have been working on. And I think over the last couple of podcasts, I've just been telling you about a couple of those. So we came to the last one, number seven, um, and number seven is the follow-up. Now, those of you who are listening to this, who go to networking events, and you hoover around picking up all these business cards, that's all very well and good, and you probably store them, and you might even be organised enough to put those on your phone. But here's a question. How many times have you followed up? How many times have you picked up the phone and called the person that you spoke to, created a relationship, gone back to them as a person of value, asked them how you can be of service to them. How many times? I tell you what, the, if you look at your good intentions and your expectations, they will far outweigh the times that you've actually picked up that phone and said, hi, remember me? We had a chat at the networking do. I was really interested in that product, but tell me, how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? It's not very often. And it's the most important thing that you need to do is that follow through, that follow up. Make the call, create the relationship. Because if you create the relationship, you've got a better chance of helping them. And ultimately, if you help them, then there's a good chance that they're gonna to want to help you. It's that reciprocity thing, isn't it? So one thing you should do when you get that card and you do the exchange of cards, is leave some petrol in the tank. We talked earlier, didn't we, in the closing dates about leaving some petrol in the tank with regards to making sure that you have somewhere to go with regards to your offer. Same thing applies when you're networking. Don't ask all your good questions. Think of some good questions and then write them on the back of the card and then give them a call in a couple of days' time. That is one of the best ways to kick off a relationship. Try it out, follow through. It's one of the most important things, but it's one of the things that we as networkers fail to do. I'm out of here. I'm gonna try as best as I can to get some more podcasts out on a weekly basis. Listen, get in touch. Get in touch with me at Jonathan Williams at begleybrown.co.uk. We're on LinkedIn. We've got the website, www, the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Subscribe to the blogs. We're going to do some videos in the next couple of weeks. This is your property podcast. Get in touch with me. Tell me what you want me to do. It's the Bricks and Mortar podcast. It's a sideways look at property.